Bonjour and bonsoir, dear friends. This is JCB Live. This is our happy hour with a Napa Valley icon. He came from the fabulous upstate New York and he moved west, first to LA, and then of course, to the heart of Napa Valley. He is what we call a wine prophet. Ladies and gentlemen, we've never talked about a wine prophet nor to a prophet of wine. This will be the first time. His name is Jonathan Cristaldi. He's done a lot of amazing things in his life from writing with Wine Access to some journal to tasting panels, having his own company, Cristaldi Consulting, and of course, have done a lot of great things and a movie during the fire. So he will tell all of us about this. He has a surname named Johnny Cigars as well. He interviewed me not too long ago and we had so much fun. We'll post it again, but before any further wait, the wonderful, the charming, the sexy, Jonathan Cristaldi. Here he is. Hey, John Charles. Cheers. <laughs> hey, cheers, man. I love that lovely mask. Look at this. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. I know your wife did not allow you to come out a few True. miles away to come and see me. How come, Jonathan? Cheers. Hi, cheers, JCB. Cheers, nice cheers, to see cheers. you. Mm. Was she afraid of me contaminating you? Well, no, she was just concerned that you voted Republican. So, <laughs> hey, can you believe I'm the only one in the United States who actually voted Democrat and Republican <laughs> because I got to vote twice? Is that I right? I received two ballots. However, I'm not a registered voter, not American citizen, so I don't vote. <laughs> Fake voting. You're the one who's caused all the problems with, uh, with all the recounts. I understand it. That's what it is. And we're Nothing. still counting here in Napa Valley. We're counting our cellars because we're drinking well. I, I'm, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. And it's the middle of the day. I'm drinking your bubbly. I, I'm th I, you sent me some nice bubbly. Look at that. So you're drinking 21. And for you and your charming wife, I'm drinking 69. Oh, that is really, I'll let her know. I'm sure she thanks you in <laughs> advance. I wore an ascot for you. Hey, I think you look so charming. And I love and I thank you for wearing your beautiful Franco-American pin. Yeah, I got that at the 1881 Museum. Very charming. Indeed, we were there together for 6644. I remember the anniversary of D-Day. What's that? D-Day? That was D-Day. <laughs> D-Day. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of it. Um, so Jonathan, tell us of what made you move west. Because you have a fascinating story. And I want to dive in right away because you have so much to say. And I'm so pleased to be finally interviewing you because you typically the one interviewing people. That's exactly right. I was just going to say, I'm like thrilled to be here and on your show and the one being questioned because so usually I have to prepare. Uh, and, in, and in today I didn't have to do any of that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, uh, I'm an upstate New York boy. Uh, I grew up in, in a little teeny town called Cambridge. 
a uh, long way from Cambridge, Massachusetts and uh, the Ivy League schools, very far from that. Uh, and uh, lived in uh, lived in New York City, actually, for quite a while after school. I was um, sort of the son of a military dictator and a, and a nurse. Uh, and, you know, I think they hoped maybe- That's where I'd you go got to... your old discipline. That's where- I mean, isn't it clear? Uh, is, isn't it crystal clear? We'll, we'll do a salute uh, at the end here. Um, I think they hoped maybe I went to, would go to like reform school or, or West Point or something like that or become a doctor. Um, instead, I went to acting school and, uh, and then spent a bunch of time uh, in New York and had a great time in New York. I got, um, I got into drinking in New York City. And uh, in, the, in those days, uh, in the early aughts, you know, people would pay money to come to my Brooklyn apartment to see me perform as, uh, as Johnny Cigar, uh, who you've met. Absolutely. And uh, Johnny is a kind of a, a mashup of an Andy Kaufman type character and kind of a, the Frank Sinatra era. So it was a lot of drinking, it was a lot of boozing uh, and a lot of singing the old Sinatra tunes. And then uh, I got, somehow these, these crazy events morphed into something called the Noble Rot. And this is really where wine kind of picked up for me. And we started, I started hosting wine events, uh, knew nothing about it, figured uh, if I host events where I have to talk about the wine, well, I'll learn something about the wine. So that was really what, what got it going. And, um, and, you know, then I realized you don't make any money uh, in the wine business. And so um, I followed my wife West to Los Angeles, uh, where she got one of the best jobs um, probably any, any professional dancer could 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 get. She was uh, invited to join a dance company called LA Dance Project, uh, wow. started by another French guy, one of those Frenchies, um, Benjamin Milpier, who is uh, married to Natalie Portman. That's why he's famous. Uh, and uh, hey, I got to tell you, I've met him at several occasions, including in Paris, where he put us an amazing show. And I did not know she was with Benjamin. That will be a great reunion one day. We should all get together. He's fabulous. And, and he is fabulous and she's fabulous. And Amanda, my wife is so much more interesting than me. She got to dance with him and his company. They, she was a founding member. And, and that's really what brought us out to California. He invited her to, uh, to, to be part of the dance group. And so when we got out to California, she had a great gig. And I, I didn't know what I was gonna do. So I, call, I had, we had gotten married in Napa Valley because um, it's so pretty. And I called some friends and I said, hey, I'm out here. You know, uh, what can I do? I got a gig uh, as a brand ambassador for Swanson Vineyards. Do you, you remember Clark Swanson? I, I know him very well. I love him as well as Elizabeth. The big, the, big eye, the big eyebrows like this. Absolutely. What a great um, man. He, he was a cool guy. Uh, really very interesting story. And they let me pedal a bag for him uh, around uh, Palm Desert, <laughs> which was a disaster for them because all I did was sit by the pool and drink uh, drink the wine. I probably should have been out selling it at the shops, but uh, it didn't work out. And I, along the way, um, I got introduced to Meredith May at the Tasting Panel magazine, which was only the Tasting Panel uh, at the time. She had not yet purchased the Psalm Journal and she took pity on me and uh, brought me in and you know sat me down and said hey you you dress well you dress too well actually where do you where do you think you're from new york and uh said uh, i'll tell you what we'll, we need somebody to be a deputy editor you've written a couple good things for us yeah you want to do it and i said please 
<laughs> and so that that started the uh, the full time career as a as a wine writer. And nothing better than just to dive in without even fully knowing what you're doing. Is it is it the big learning there? I didn't know a thing. <laughs> I hadn't taken a course in wine. I mean, I came in with a New York attitude. I figured, oh, I, I know, I know this wine stuff. Um, you know, the, then then you sit down, you have to start writing it, and when it takes you uh, 25 minutes to look up, you know, Chardonnay, we, <laughs> you, you realize maybe you uh, maybe you need to get an education. So did you did you actually study wine? Not at all. You just went into writing and. And that was the beginning of an amazing wine writing career. Well, I had been a self-appointed master sommelier. Uh, I found that uh, putting that on a business card was more uh, effective and time-saving uh, uh, than actually going through the, the process of, of learning anything. Um, <laughs> then I, then I learned... Self-appointed master sommelier. I love it. Yeah, I handed that business card to uh, to an, a master of wine once, and um, most of the time I would get a good reaction. People would laugh or chuckle. She just looked blankly at it and then looked back at me and, and said, I hope you have never actually handed this out to anyone. <laughs> well, uh, I did eventually go take some WSET courses, and, uh, and learning on the job with Meredith, I mean, if anybody... If any of your listeners know Meredith May, publisher and owner of the Tasting Panel, I mean, she's sharp, she's quick, she's uh, she'll be on you if you have the wrong answer, you know it. <laughs> so you learn quick. So that was one of the most amazing experience writing, and this is this is uh, where you got to spend a lot of time with a lot of great vintners. What was one of your favorite moment writing for those magazines? Oh man, great question. You know, um, early on. So, you know, in addition to Meredith's world and her purview and everybody she knows, you know, Andy Blue was involved and I would get to go over to Andy Blue's house, longtime Bon Appetit food and wine, you know, editor and um, and sit and, and have tastings uh, with him. And, and I remember um, one particular afternoon when um, we did a we did a, a tasting with Cushing Donnellan of uh, Donnellan Family Wines. And, you know, it was just like. We ended up for three hours, you know, in Andy Blue's loft, tasting innumerable wines. He had to taste some uh, Spanish wines after, but Cushing stuck around, and we just all tasted and talked. And uh, the point is, we were there to actually score wine. So this was the first, I think, big uh, sort of eye-opening moment for me, which was, you know, sitting in the room with somebody as, as knowledgeable and you know uh, having done this for so many years and just watch the process see it all unfold while we were talking to Cushing about uh, his time with he worked with Matthew McConaughey's uh, production company so he had a lot of really good stories far better ones than I have but um, it was a, it was a heck of a day and that was pretty magical and I thought wow this is what this is what I, this job is like you get to kind of hang around with some really cool people taste wine just write it in the best descriptors you can come up with and then give it a score, I'm in. <laughs> and what makes actually, Jonathan, as you are a phenomenal writer and, and script writer as well, I could totally see you back on stage at theaters or performing too, which I'm sure you are doing or you will be doing again. Uh, what makes a great wine writer? Hmm. I think um, a lot of really bad wine makes a really great wine writer. 
and and that's because you end up having to write about a lot of like different kinds of wine. Uh, we won't call them. We won't label them bad or good. But um, I I think uh, that and also not having. Um, I mean, I'm all about formal education. I think at some point you have to go and get uh, learn how to learn about the wine regions, get certified in, in something. But I also think you, you've got to have had some life experiences. So I really think that like, you know, I don't know, living in New York and, and being a being a, an outspoken, you know, kid with a with a head larger than uh, than the reality to back it up probably, you know, taught me a few hard lessons. I got knocked around a bunch and that helps. I think that helps make a good writer, getting knocked around a bunch. So define for us what the term wine profit means, because I love that in your bio. I love, you're the first ever wine profit I've met. It makes sense. It makes sense when you look at my initials. <laughs> We you, share the same. <laughs> the label I together. know, I know, right? Look at that. Um, I think that Time Out New York recognized that I was doing something unique in the, in the, in the wine scene. Um, and so they mistakenly included me in a group of really talented and professional people uh, called the New Wine Profits of New York City. And, uh, and that made sense to me. Uh, I didn't pay the guy to write that uh, headline, but um, he eventually paid me to write my first story. It's the guy who wrote that story uh, and dubbed me a wine prophet is named Chris Schonberger. And some people may know who he is for um, uh, a very crazy Instagram show called Hot Wings, where all these celebrities eat incredibly spicy hot chicken wings, and then they That's get fine. interviewed. Yeah, and he started that with, um, with, uh, through his blog, First Wheat Feast, which is where I really got my career writing about wine. He called me up one day, he said, I write about beer. I don't know anything about wine, but I need somebody to write about wine. Will you do that for me? And I said, sure. And uh, that began a that began a great career. He was almost like having, um, you know, the famous, if you know the famous relationship between um, F. Scott Fitzgerald and his famous uh, editor, um, who really was the brains of the operation behind The Great Gatsby and a few others. It was kind of like that relationship. I would, I would write stories, turn them in, And he would send them right back to me. <laughs> This is the word. Let's, let's redo that two or three or four times. Well, you one of the most interesting men, certainly in the wine world. And you've interviewed recently one of the most interesting men in the beer world. So yeah. tell us about that. You mean this guy? Yes. Stay interesting for sure, Mr. Goldsmith. Jonathan Goldsmith, man, I think he probably, aside from you, Jean Charles, <laughs> he's he's the most interesting guy in the world for sure. You're the you're the most interesting guy in California. How's that? Well, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> And in France, not that I believe it's true, but I will take the compliment. I'm going to serve <laughs> myself a little a little. Burgundy whites. Meanwhile, we do this because okay. Well, I, yeah, I, I met Jonathan when we were in Los, living in Los Angeles, and he was still the Dos Equis guy. And um, and I remember, uh, you know, I got a half an hour to come hang out with him. They, you know, the publicist was, you know, very strict. You get 30 minutes with Mr. Goldsmith, and that's it. And um, we hit it off because he has a home in uh, Manchester, Vermont, which is about 
45 minutes from where I grew up. And uh, he had done some uh, shopping for his home at an antique store in Cambridge where I, where I grew up. So it was just sort of a silly thing. And we hit it off. And, you know, he's he's Jewish and he plays this Mexican beer drinker. And I mean, he does it so well. He puts on the accent and and, and the, the act so well. It's a it's a cool thing. And it's fun to chat with him. And we we smoked some cigars and drank some beers and uh, and we, we talked for a while. And that was the first time I met him. Then I, I joined him at his house in Vermont. And uh, recently we had a phone call and I'll have an article on him coming out in uh, tasting panel soon. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, two very interesting man meeting is very cool. So Jonathan, we need to have you tell us a little bit about this Pulini Morache. Oh. Because you're the wine experts of California, but I believe as well you taste old Burgundy very well. And this is Bouchard-René, you know, one of the oldest winery in Burgundy, founded in 1750. That's why I'm wearing blue. This is the official color of Bouchard. Mm. And this is a Puligny Montrachet, one of my very favorite Chardonnay of all time. You so say that so well. Description? You, you say it so well, though. I, I believe there's a G though in the name so i don't know that you're pronouncing it correctly but that's okay um <laughs> <laughs> how would you say it? how would you say it? <laughs> i mean it's clearly written as polygny montrachette i mean let's be honest here with ourselves so in the glass i love this part whenever um Whenever I talk about, um, as you know, we'll talk a little bit about writing for the camera. Uh, and and I've, I've done some writing for the camera for, for some wineries. I always tell them, don't ever have anybody uh, tasting wine while you're on camera. Because nobody wants to sit at home and watch somebody doing this. <laughs> well, you look good doing it as you look at us serious. You're still engaging us. Don't spit! Okay. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Well, here, I'll take another sip to, uh, to spit it. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm with Johnny Cigar right now. <laughs> I think you are. Okay. So, my, my professional uh, assessment of this wine is that it's very light and crisp and fresh. It's very mineral driven. There's a lot of tension. I don't have... Um, a football helmet to spit it into. However, if I did, I would say that it is built like a linebacker. I mean, it's a white wine, but it's got incredible structure and um, and really pretty finesse. I mean, I get a lot of lemon and, and candied lemon peel and um, just that sort of, I get this, I get this thing that is like a technical term. It's not a technical term and I can never fully explain it. So maybe you can help. You know, those little sweet tart candies that come in the little package, you unwrap yeah. those things. Of course. It's, I swear Pouligny Montrachet uh, and, and other white burgundy uh, often has that quality. For me, it brings me right back to childhood. There's something about that sweet tart note that for me, it's a mineral component, which sounds kind of yeah. crazy because it's because I'm saying sweet tart and it's a sugary candy, but I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I love your description. I, I will never never ever possibly contradict you you're the man of of words and and i'm hearing i'm even hearing some um some beautiful sort of like white springy white floral notes i get some very nutty i also get nutty like those like the almonds you know how you know how some sommeliers like to talk about almond skin 
I've never actually yeah. seen a Naman skin, but I believe that this wine possesses that quality. Ooh la la. For someone who and, just started tasting wine, you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I started about a week ago, um, but I read quickly. On that note, tell us a little bit about the Napa Wine Academy and, and all the consulting you're doing, because, you know, for all our friends with us today, which is so exciting is you move west, you get married, you start in the wine world, then you write about wine, you become a wine expert, and now you start your own consulting firm. So tell us about how was it to do so and what does it entitle as well as the Academy? I love the question. I'll take the next 30 or 40 minutes to answer it. Um, so we have plenty of time. You know, um, I think I will, uh, I, I will come back to, to the, the very end of that, that question and say that I should mention uh, two very important mentors, I think. Um, Jeff Morgan, who's a winemaker. Uh, he lived in Napa for a long time. He has a wine called Covenant. Uh, yeah. I first uh, came out to Napa in 2011, I thought, okay, if I'm going to stop doing these events or if I'm going to get into wine seriously, I've got to come out and work a harvest. So I did. I came out in 2011, one of the most difficult years, just in terms of growing. It was very cold and rainy, as people remember, although the wines are absolutely stunning for the most part. Um, and I lived, I ended up living with Jeff Morgan. I had met him um, a year before and he had come to New York and done an event with me and he said come stay with me and uh, and so I stayed with him throughout harvest and uh, he would every single night we had a very um, very French routine we would have dinner we would have um, a salad course and then a main course and then a cheese course and throughout wow. the whole uh, night we were tasting wines and talking about them and, you know, uh, I remember at one point he asked, he just, you know, said, he handed me a glass of red and said, tell me what you think. You know, so he's, you know, he, he knows it's a, it's a, it's a big trap. He's setting me up and I uh, taste, tasted the wine and it was a red wine. And I said something about acidity. And he said, you know, he slammed his hand on the table and he said, Jonathan, we don't talk about acidity with Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. You can talk about its brightness. You can talk about its vividness, but we talk about round flavors, textures, lush, you know, rich layered fruit flavors. And so that was, that was like, that was a light slap on the wrist. I got many slaps on the wrist from Jeff and it really, it taught me a lot. Training to, oh, to be... Tasting wine every night with him and talk wine. Wow. I should mention for people who don't know him, I mean, he was the uh, editor of Wine Spectator for about a decade <laughs> years ago. Yep. So I really, that was, that was critical. Um, and then also, um, I eventually got invited to participate in the Symposium for Professional Wine Writers. That's this other pin right here. Uh, it's a little felt tip uh, in an ink. It's a little felt tip in an ink pen. And um, yeah. Both sides. yeah, exactly. You see, <laughs> I know, this is all planned. So at the at the symposium, uh, I got a chance to meet Ray Isle uh, at Food and Wine. And, um, you know, I told him I thought it was his writing was OK. I thought it was decent. I thought I thought it could use some work. Uh, and and so uh, I offered to him to let me write for him, which in turn would teach him to be a better editor right you see 
<laughs> and I know Ray is listening because he's been on our show as well as Meredith. So they're going to be excited to hear the story. Yeah, they're going to love it. Uh, and so that, that was that was really important. That was a big turning point for me writing for Ray and the team. Uh, and, you know, uh, I would say that uh, to, to bring it back to your question, you know, I, 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 I'm Jeff Morgan's a mentor. Ray becomes a mentor. I'm working with Napa Valley Wine Academy. I got involved with them because they're a great outfit uh, based in Napa. And uh, I was, they were sponsoring me to go through the WSET and get through my diploma. Life got in the way. Uh, I ended up having a daughter um, who, who did this, this piece of art behind me. This is good, very good artist. Not bad, P Penelope. And, um, you know, I just, between raising Penelope and trying to be a full-time writer, uh, just, I, I said, sorry, I can't do the diploma right now, but I continued to work with them. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the, the, the writing with the Academy was, was um, writing for a blog, you know, so I'm doing editorial work at Food and Wine. I'm continuing to do work with uh, Tasting Panel and Psalm Journal. We had, my family, we had moved to Northern California from uh, Los Angeles. I continued to work with the tasting panel. Obviously I've written a lot of really fun articles with you uh, and, uh, and our friend, Alexander Rubin, great photographer in the Valley. Uh, we've had some pretty monstrous shoots. <laughs> to say the least, we're we'll gonna show pictures at the end of our wonderful interview so people could see the spectrum of what you've done. I'd, lo I'd love to see it. So, you know, between so between all that writing that I was doing, uh, you know, I, I eventually took a, uh, I actually took a full-time gig. You know, you got a, you got a child come along and it's sort of like, well, you got to have some consistency for a while. So a company called Wine Access was looking for somebody to take on their writing. And yeah. this, the story here is Wine Access is a company that is, they market wine, you know, digitally. It's a daily email offer. And the, the guy who started the company wrote all the content. He was the storyteller. Uh, he was a great storyteller, but he left. He sold the business um, for a, for a, for a, a cool few million, several million, and then uh, went and hung out in Arizona in the desert for a little bit. And they needed somebody to come in and write the write the work, make it sound like nobody left, make it sound like the owner was still involved. Uh, they 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 tried out thirty or forty different writers. Nobody could get it. Uh, they called me up. They called the wine profit up. I came in. I, I wrote one one story and nailed it. Boom. Done. So they hired me on the spot. I negotiated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was cool. I, I got, you know, I was making $2.5 million a year. <laughs> and a word or year? <laughs> yeah. Per decade or three. And um, really whipped myself into shape. And it was this writing at Wine Access where you're you're doing editorial writing, but you're also yeah. writing uh, to 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 sell wine. You have to sell wine. Um, it was challenging and it was new. It was very different. And I learned a, a great deal about how to do that. And I decided I want to offer those services to to wineries. So uh, I, I branched out uh, in 2019. Started a company called Cristaldi and Company. And I a thank true you. entrepreneur. And I still work with so many folks and, uh, and that's what we're doing. I'm helping to write content on the back end that really hopefully helps energize and excite, and mobilize people to learn and buy. Um, and, uh, and so I still work with the Napa Valley Wine Academy, but I also still do some work with Meredith and the tasting panel, as you well know. And Jonathan, so 
that's very exciting. Where do you act, in fact, see the wine world in terms of taste, in terms of wine, in terms of profile going? Because you've been reviewing wine now for a long time, writing about wine from all around the world. What's your take on the evolution to come? God, these big questions, JCB. I thought we were going to talk about Andy Kaufman or, I don't know, Frank Sinatra or... Well, uh, let's do that too. <laughs> all right, we can do that too. The big question, where's the wine world going? Where's the... Well, I guess... I guess the question is, where are the wine drinkers going, right? Because, because the, I think the, the sort of baby boomer generation, I mean, I have to credit that generation for my own uh, obsession with wine. I have, uh, I have some in-laws who opened uh, their cellars to me. I mean, I grew like I said, I grew up in upstate New York in a tiny little uh, little town there. I didn't have wine until I was 18 or 19 years old. Um, unlike some people who were born in uh, Claude Bougeot. But um... <laughs> that's why I served myself the Fissin, by the way, just selfishly as you were talking. Na naturally, good for you. Um, <laughs> we, so, you know, uh, we, um, I, so I was introduced later on in life and uh, and and it was because those people were collectors and had been collecting and so i was uh, introduced to some older french wine and older italian wine things that you just can't really get your hand on today if you're a young person coming up as a wine drinker so my you know my my answer is well let's let's hope that those boomers are actually also teaching their their next generation to have an appreciation for wine. And I think that is a critical um, uh, sort of ha handing off of the baton. I hope that they do that. Now, for the rest, for, for other people who don't have access to, you know, people who knew their wine, what do they do? Well, that's why we try to write all these nifty stories and try to educate them. So I hope they read. Uh, I hope that there's a lot more reading that gets done. I can't tell you how often I get invited to, I don't know, an, an event, whatever it is. And I, you know, walk in and I see the wine is just sitting out on the counter. It's at room temperature. It's like, you know, they're serving it in whatever glass, what, you know, these kinds of cups, you know, my spit cup, that's what they're drinking it out of. And, um, and, you know, it's, it pains me. It doesn't take a lot to so learn what how to enjoy good, it. On, on that note, Jonathan, what, again, in a different way, what makes a good wine story? How do we engage people into wine? And explain how do you, you do so, because you're very good at it. When we read your stories, we're diving into that world and we cannot leave the article because you're so good at it. Stop it, stop it. No, go on, go on. <laughs> okay, I'll answer the question. I think it's you, you try to not talk about the wine. Like you, 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 you try to talk about anything else, frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, like if, uh, if you and I are going to talk about this Poulini Montrachet, you know, I'd rather talk about, um, well, I want to talk about the place. Like, I want to know what that place looks like. Um, yeah. I want to know what it looks like right now. You know, it's, it's winter, right? So paint a picture for me, you know, what do those vines look like at this moment? What's the sunlight? What's the... What's the air smell like? What mm -hmm. is that sort of beautiful yep. place that this wine came from? Um, and who made it? Who, whose hands touched this wine? 
Um, literally though, right? Like, I mean, I want to know, okay, so if it was X winemaker, who is he? How many generations has he been making wine? Where did he grow up? Where did he come from? What's he like? What music does he listen to when he's making the wine? That's the stuff that's interesting to me. I fully agree. Well, Jonathan, you're a little behind me. Look at that. I'm already on the Fissin. So right. the other wine we're trying is, I want you to describe it, of course, but it's a very powerful wine in history. Ooh, I like how you're using your lovely tool here. Is it because you're not going to drink the whole bottle tonight? Knowing you, you will finish that bottle before sunset. <laughs> this wine was drank by Napoleon on a lot of his beautiful battles around Europe and the world. It's called Fissin, La Mazière. And it is, you know, in the Côte de Nuit, of course, and it is a very delicate wine that we chose for a man like you who has with his father a military background. So you see, we were thinking of your history and your beautiful ascot before you knew it. <laughs> I think that so how, how would you describe that wine? I think it's a requirement for writers, wine writers and living in Napa to wear ascots. Mm -hmm. And I demand it uh, moving forward. This wine, do you You're actually make, do you make these wines or are these somebody yes. else's wines? No, no, it's, um, it's a wonderful man named Laurent Meret who's been making this wine for over 30 years now. And uh, he really knows the sense of place and all what you were describing earlier. It's, it's quite an amazing wine. I'm, I'm very excited to have this Pinot Noir part of our ranch because we only make 2,400 bottles, Jonathan. So it's a very small allocation. It's a tiny volume of barrels, but it's pretty delicate. Huh? I'm thrilled that you're sharing this with me. I know I've been incredibly sarcastic and mostly rude throughout this whole interview process, but- Never, I, never, I, never. <laughs> I was thrilled when I saw that you were sending a, uh, you said you pronounce it Fisin. Yes, that's very cute. I would have pronounced it Fixin. Uh, <laughs> Whichever way you put on the X is always good. It's not X-rated one way or the other. It's get, it's we're going there. Um, I in uh, so this is fun for me because um, this is going to sound really elitist, but I've only had old wine from this appellation because um again one of the in-laws purchased a, a bunch from the 80s and 90s and then stopped buying it so i've had um 80s and 90s from this appellation and and what i love about this is uh, the you know this is a what a 2018 release i think um yeah, yeah 2018 so 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 youthful right and i'm used to wines that are 20 years older 30 years older than this so um I love the sort of, um, th there's a masculine quality to this. It's really um, upfront aromatics that are really intense, very dark, very layered, very brooding. Um, but I also get these really remarkable earthy notes and these uh, under, uh, these sort of underbrush, this uh, forest floor, this like pine needle forest floor. Um, freshness like walking through a pine like walk like going to get your christmas tree basically yeah uh, yeah kind of like that very well said and even mushroom hunting mm. Mm. i'm amazed you don't swallow huh? mm. <laughs> gosh man i did no i comment. say that no comment um we're talking about wine i think um i'll swallow this time let's swallow 
Because you know, really, so, you have to you have to swallow in order to really. I, I think so. Away. But as you you tasting, Jonathan, I'd love for you to tell us about the latest incredible documentary you did, which is winning accolades after accolades, just like your articles, Amber's and Vine. Tell us about this, because it's a big deal as far as what happened not too long ago in the heart of California. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is. Um... This is a big. This is a big film. Uh, it was a labor of love, and I, I mean that uh, very seriously. You know, um, people who are paying attention, who are, who have been reading the news, know that the valley was deeply impacted by very serious fires this last time around. Not that any of the fires haven't been serious, but this time, it came, you know, into the towns essentially, into Saint Helena, uh, right up to Calistoga, um, and a lot of. In, iconic places that are iconic to us we live in the area um and uh, and very well known places uh, were deeply impacted by the glass fire well uh ray isle reached out to me you know i'm on the boots on the ground here and said i would like you to write something and i started working on the project and it was really i was talking to everybody uh and learning kind of in real time what was happening um but it was also very hard to figure out what was going on yeah. I was relying on Twitter a lot, um, which is, you know, is good and bad. There was some mis misinformation that was starting to be spread about places that had burned that had not. And um, I was on the phone with a filmmaker named Rashid Downan. And Rashid um, is a, a wonderfully talented videographer, filmmaker. And, um, you know, he said, my, entire crew is uh, we have nothing to do there's the smoke is heavy in the air we we're supposed to be on a couple shoots we're not doing anything um we feel that we should do something is there something we can do and i said absolutely absolutely i'm talking to all of these folks let's um let's get them on camera let's have them tell their story because we need to um document this we need to create a time stamp this keeps happening and you know i think that once the fire stories, once the fire's out and the fire stories go away and the news cameras stop showing their sensationalist footage, everyone kind of forgets, particularly on the East Coast. You know, people go, oh, the fires are out. Okay. Napa's okay. Everyone's fine. Well, no, everyone's not fine. Um, so we, we sat down and interviewed um, some folks to record their emotions in the moment. And I really commend them for uh, being available. We, we spoke to Chris Costow, the chef at the restaurant at Meadowood, who lost that entire uh, place. We've all seen the pictures at this point, I think. Um, we spoke to um, Stu and uh, Sam Smith of Smith Madrone, who yep. were out fighting the fires themselves. I mean, their they're, they're, uh, stories are harrowing. It's incredible. We spoke to... Um, jo uh, uh, Scotty Schultz and, and um, Jenny Schultz and Jolie Laid Wines. They had just moved all their wine to a brand new winery that, you know, uh, got caught up in the blaze. And they were very fortunate because their wines were in a bunker um, underneath the winery that burned. Yes. And then, um, and we also... Always good uh, to have a cellar underground, Jonathan. I Always say, deeper attention in that sense. <laughs> Go underground, I guess. That's but it's it's amazing because your 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 TV documentary is going wild and viral and is 
all over the place and I really want to commend you for it. So it's winning all kinds of awards as well, right? Well, it's getting a lot of recognition for sure. Um, and and we'll, we'll see where that goes. And I just, you know, uh, I thank Food and Wine and the team there. They've, they've helped promote it. And uh, it's good that it's getting out there. We need a lot of people to see this and to see that there are people who are very deeply impacted. Yeah. Well, very, very good. Now, Jonathan, as it is now the end of our wonderful time together, sadly, but never the end totally, what message would you like to send to the world as Jonathan Cristaldi, Johnny Cigar, the great writer, uh, the amazing now documentary producer, and this great theatrical personality? We are early December. It's the holidays, soon 2020. Thank God it's going to be behind us. So what are your words of wisdom to all of us? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for this, JCB. Can't thank you. Well, your name is JC. You're the wine prophet, for God's sake. For God's heaven's sake. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll leave you with two, two things, two, two, two of my favorite quotes. One was from Stephen Spurrier. He said, uh, the difference between drinking and tasting is paying attention. And my good friend, Marty Short, good friend of mine, said something to comedian Steve Martin um, that I told him that he could borrow. Uh, he said, my rock bottom is still your wildest dreams. Very good. <laughs> Jonathan, as always, extremely well said. So good to be together today. I hope we get to go dancing with your lovely wife, whether it's in a nightclub or obviously seeing one of a performance as a ballet dancer would be a lot of fun. Sipping some wonderful burgundies or Napa Valley wines and we want to thank you so much for being with us. We wish you an amazing time to Penelope, to you, to the whole family. And we cannot wait to be together and do the, the actual real cheers. I know. Cheers, man. There it cheers. is. Cheers. <laughs> what See a pleasure. You soon. Thank you.